It's July 13th, 2023, and you're listening to the Architecture Geeks podcast. I'm Larry. And I'm Matthew. And we're your friendly neighborhood architects being geeky as we want to be. So I was going to say welcome back, everybody, to the first podcast of the summer, but I guess that's not really true because we did one in June. But but this is, I guess, the first officially planned podcast for the summer. <laughs> Uh, since since June was just a San Francisco AIA conference recap, I I don't know if that technically counts as a planned podcast, but anyway, so, so welcome to the podcast and wanted to jump right in because we're going to talk about one of the more fundamental parts of architecture today that, that doesn't, it's the stuff that doesn't get glamorous magazine covers and, and photo shoots or anything, because it's not something you can really photo shoot, but is still very important in what we do as architects and how we approach architecture and design. And that that topic is actually zoning. And before everyone starts to head for the exits, Matthew and I both know that this can be boring. This is not one of those really zippity-doo-dah things, but it is one of the first things that, as architects, we will look at when we get ready to start into a project. And we, we want to know you know, especially residential projects, because there's so many variations in zoning. So we want to make sure what we're getting ourselves into before we just jump right, in, right into design. Because there's so much you can and can't do with zoning, and it's often one of those things that's just very underappreciated because it's not a tool that people can visibly see, but it really is something that we use a lot in the built environment. But if you're wondering why the heck are we even talking about zoning, well, I'm going to turn that over to Matthew because you had a really let's let's put it this way: you had a really different experience than we typically do with zoning. Yeah. So most zoning regulations exist to tell you what you can't do. Like you can't build on your property more than ten feet from the street. So you have to you have to be ten feet back. I probably said that wrong, but. <laughs> It, it, it exists to say you can't build more than a certain percentage of your lot out. There's so many ways that you can't do something, and it's all spelled out in the zoning. So we're talking about zoning today because I am doing a project in McKinney in the downtown core uh, district of McKinney that actually flipped all of what I knew about zoning on its head because. The downtown core has some very specific instructions, and it basically said, no, you have to build up to your property line, and at least 50% of your building has to be within 10 feet of the property line. So they're forcing you to build up to a certain point. And it's like, wow, I have never experienced this. It's always been the opposite. It's always, oh, you can't build here. You can't build here. And in, in, in this one specific instance, it's, oh, no. We're making you build here. You have to build here. This is something that we are encouraging. And I, and I just started thinking like, wait, what? And, and <laughs> so it sent me down a, a zoning, I guess, rabbit hole on the internet. And so we're, that's what we're doing today. We, we are exploring that rabbit hole of zoning. And <laughs> uh, so we're going to briefly talk about what zoning is what it is currently doing to cities all over the United States as a result of what it is and, and why it's important to recognize what it has done and, and how to change it going forward into the future. 
So I guess we should start off with what is zoning for any non-architects listening out there. It, for the short version, is it's segregating buildings is, is pretty much what it is. It's segregating the uh, uses of those buildings in certain areas, and it's also restricting the density of those buildings in those areas. That's the short version, at least. <laughs> and I'm going to give you guys the longer version because some of you may be maybe curious as to what we mean by use segregation and what it really means is that zoning really becomes about land use laws that most cities will use to govern what can be done with proper property within the city's boundaries so what can we use that property for there are usually if you've ever had a <laughs> oh, if you ever had to look at a zoning zoning book we're talking hundreds of pages thick and what it really does is it says okay in this part of the city we can build commercial in this part of the city we can build single family residential this one says we can do apartment buildings so that's what zoning really does for us and it also talks about like as matthew said instead of building up to this line you know okay well we have you have to be this far back from your property line before you can start building so so regulations like that and they're often accompanied by by maps. Um, I've seen some really interesting color-coded maps showing where all the various uses are located. The city of Dallas actually has an online map, which is kind of handy when it works. That's a whole other, if you've, if you've been paying any attention to the news, you know, Dallas got a ransomware attack. So they're still recreating, I think, most of their system. But basically what zoning regulations really boil down to is just segregating the buildings by type and restricting how much of that building type can be built in a certain area. So what exactly does that do to cities and suburbs? Well, as far as what it does to, to cities and suburbs, it, what the first impression that I had was it, it really enforces a certain social structure because uh, and this is a this is a very high level overview but the basic premise in zoning was that when it first got started in the late 1900 in the early 1900s was that it was supposed to keep harmful uses of land like factories and other polluting and industrial land uses away from where the white people lived and that, that was the idea anyway, because according to most of the zoning maps that you'll see from the early 1950s and 60s, the only thing that was acceptable to have near the white portion of town in these residential zones was farming, schools, churches, parks, and golf courses. And that just screams white boy to me, if, if nothing else. But I... <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, and, and, it, and it does. I mean, you know, the, the, when suburbs... Were being developed, they were really a whites-only area. There were so many things in place saying you could only sell homes to white citizens, white white families, and so a lot of times the the zoning was really a way to enforce a social structure and really separate everyone. So oftentimes you'd end up with with a high higher percentage of black individuals in the urban core and the white families off in the suburbs. But what it also did was, you know, we, we talk about it as being, well, we want to keep factories and industrial uses away from neighborhoods. Those ended up next to the black neighborhoods. So the poor neighborhoods, the minority neighborhoods, had those factories right next door. And consequently, we're, you know, sucking in all the pollution and the bad air and everything else. So it, it was really, really does set up that social structure. 
And at the same time, I think it, it also sort of sets up an economic structure because you have a zoning that sort of traps people in poor neighborhoods because you're creating neighborhoods, one, that they're, they don't have access to, but two, that for a poor individual, they can't afford because those neighborhoods have certain, you know, every lot is a certain size and has to have this type size of house. And so suddenly you're very, you start to limit who can actually afford to purchase property. But zoning regulations also were set up to say that you have to reserve a certain percentage of your land to use for cars. So you always had to worry about streets, driveways, and parking. So, so when the cities were also allocating about 75, 75% of their land to be zoned for single-family residential, they were also having to allocate all of this land for the streets and driveways and parking. What that has done... What is that? Oh, what has this type of zoning done to major urban centers around the U.S.? I don't know what to say about this. Well, I mean, it, like, it, like I said, it, it traps people where they were, but it, it also limited participation in your local community because so, so the, these types of zoning regs, like if participation in your local community is conditional now on you owning a car. So modern day life does not happen for you unless you have a car because it is too time consuming to walk places or, or even dangerous, especially if you're in, in hotter places in the summer or, or even in really cold places in the winter. Um, I mean, you can't go to political rally if you don't get there in a timely manner. So your your access to even the levers of power to to do anything uh, are severely curtailed because you know it, it's all a car driven based society, and that comes with a certain way. Comes with you have to buy a car. There's insurance. There's like there, there's there's the maintenance. There's so much involved from a financials perspective that it really shuts down participation. Just in your local community. Right. Well, in, in your local politics and, and yeah, yeah. I, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but that's true. It's, it's very much, you know, we are automobile dependent because that's the only way you can, you know, a lot of times, I mean, there's, there's mass transit in some cities. There's really crappy mass transit in some cities, but yeah, I mean, you know, you have to be able to get around in most suburbs, unless you have a car, you're not really going anywhere. So yeah, I, I can kind of see that see that happening. You know, and, and I think that's probably what was was interesting about the pandemic too, is that I think so many of us got to know our local neighborhood better because we spent more time walking around than we did driving. But the problem there too is that the larger community is less visible is less visible because you aren't I mean you're not seeing them on your usual routes. I mean they're you know, you are if you're in a suburb, if you're in single-family residential, you know, typical neighborhood, your area is limited to often, oftentimes just right around where you are. Those are the same places you go over and over and over again. So you're not often interacting with with different groups of people. But I guess in a way that you know that sort of restricted density. And here, and here's I think part of the challenge too is zoning has really restricted where you can have enough density to change that to create that that sense of neighborhood, that sense of walkability that we, we talk about a lot. You know, the, the whole idea, you know, initially we were talking about, this is about a way to segregate races. At the same time, also segregating different classes of people. If you, you can't have low-income families and individuals in a neighborhood where there isn't enough density that they can afford to move into, that the only way that they can afford a piece of property there, I mean, you, you to, to get better schools, to get better 
access to opportunity to get better. You know, in some cases, just even get to a grocery store, you have to be able to afford to buy a home in that neighborhood. So it becomes a question of we, you know, zoning really isolating a lot of people because we don't allow for the kind of density that's needed. The low density of a residential neighborhood is not conducive to that. So it's going to favor either you have money to purchase from existing stock right now, especially which is really scarce, or you're inheriting a home that's been in the neighborhood for years and you're possibly pulling it from a family member. So, so there's a lot happening with zoning that we don't, I think, necessarily think about. And it is important that we're going to change it for the future, that we have to be aware of it. Because right off the bat, like we said, the biggest thing that's coming out right now, we talk about a lot, is affordable housing. Yeah. When 75% of your city is zoned to be low density residential type structures, that doesn't, that it creates a, an artificial scarcity because now all of a sudden you can't build things like townhomes or, or other or other maybe higher density type structures that you can still build equity into and so now on our now we've got a housing crisis and and there's there's multiple reasons for the housing crisis but a very large contributor at this point is we've created our own shortage of land based on how we've zoned the cities around us. Well, and the other thing too is, I mean, you know, it's, we talk about housing crisis, but anytime, I'm almost going to say most times, but basically anytime anyone wants to start talking about building what's called affordable housing into an existing neighborhood, you know, there's a, a giant, there's, in fact, there's a great, great example over here by not far from us there was a huge church property. And for those of you who don't know, most church property is zoned residential uh, if it's in the neighborhood. So it's probably already zoned for residential. I think they had to change it to multifamily because they were doing townhomes and some apartments. And part of that was to create affordable housing for teachers and for first responders. So firefighters, policemen, EMTs, People that serve the community, teachers, I mean, people that serve the community needed to have housing. I mean, we, <laughs> it's kind of hard to have, have a school if you can't have enough teachers around you to actually, who can afford to live around it, to be able to come and teach. I know that's a, a huge problem up in some of the higher value cities like Aspen and I think Park City in Utah that, that you have a whole service industry, so to speak, that has to service that community, but nobody can afford to live there. So the cities are having to create their own affordable community so that they can actually have people there to provide the service that's needed. All that to say is that that oftentimes when the term affordable housing comes up, you get a really big pushback from the local neighborhood because it's, this, it's what we refer, refer to as NIMBY, not in my backyard. Neighborhoods will push back because when you say affordable housing, we used to say low-income housing, and the code for low-income housing is poor minorities. So we don't want poor minorities in our neighborhood because they're going to bring our property value down. But now we're at a point where we need affordable housing because the property values <laughs> have simply gotten too high that people can't afford – the people that need to be there and work in that neighborhood cannot afford to work or cannot afford to live in that neighborhood. So, yeah, so housing affordability really – really is an issue. 
There are political parties that are working for it. There are political parties pushing against it. There are a lot of architects who are getting very involved in the affordable housing crisis to try to figure out, okay, how do we solve this? And that's, is that with infill in neighborhoods so that you have a higher density between regular single-family residential. So start creating those spaces where more people can live and more people can come into the community and afford to come into the community. But but on top of that, the other thing we have to think about too is, is global warming. And for everybody there who doesn't believe in science and want to roll your eyes, roll your eyes, this is this really is a thing. <laughs> and what it comes down to is is less car dependence. If we don't have if we have if we have a higher density area if it's mixed use, it's a, a dense urban area, or even if it's a dense suburban area with good public transportation, one of the things that's going to help us do is, is rely less on cars and, in turn, help curb carbon emissions. Yeah, so, so we're talking about what, how zoning is important to the future. And, and, you know, we're trying to address things like the, the housing affordability issue and global warming is another one of those issues of the future that, and, and of right now, honestly, that can be addressed by just simply changing how you zone a city. So much so that living, just living in a more dense city will already help your carbon footprint. For example, People living in New York City actually have the smallest carbon footprints in the U.S. because the average for the U.S., uh, the average carbon footprint in the U.S., and it's measured in metric tons per person, and the average is 16 metric tons of carbon per person. And if you live in New York City, by virtue of just living there, not, not, not by changing any other habits, not by, I mean, Obviously, you're getting rid of your car because it's a dense urban environment, but the average is 7.1 metric tons of greenhouse gases per year just by living in New York City. So you're, you're less than half of the average American just by living in a dense urban city. Now, imagine applying that all over the world. I mean, that, that, it's, a, it's a huge number if you, once you think about it. Wow. I, I had no idea. I, I always think as as busy and as hectic as New York City seems, that you would have a smaller as an individual, you'd have a smaller carbon footprint. But that makes that makes perfect sense. You you walk most places. They have really good transit. So, wow, I hadn't ever thought of that. But yeah. Yeah, I can, well, and I can. and you're sharing, and there's and there's like the, the because it's more dense, like the the thermal envelopes are going to be like it, you're sharing you're sharing walls with people, so that way if you're all in one building together, like the the heating is going to affect multiple units at the same time, so the utilities are a little bit more efficient. Multiple the the, the density allows for things like utilities to have economies of scale that are so much more powerful in the, in those dense environments than in a more suburban or even rural uh, setting. You mean better than the 5,000 square foot house on the half acre lot? Yeah, I I would think so. Um, Wow. Wow. I hadn't really thought about that, but you know, the other thing too is, is, and I think we learned this a lot in the pandemic was that changing the zoning so that we have more walkable communities and, more mixed-use communities really becomes a thing about socialization. That, that it's so much better for socialization because you know, I mean, and I think, like I said, I think we learned a lot of this of this during the pandemic is that we were so we, a lot of people got so isolated 
because we were all working from home. We had to work from home because of COVID. And that has a impact on you mentally. But at the same time, too, I think, uh, you know, again, we ended up walking the neighborhood more and we saw more people than we I probably ever have in the 20 years, <laughs> uh, 20 years we've lived here, 22 years li- we've lived here. So, so yeah, so I, th- I think it's that, that aspect of, of just being better for you, better for you probably physically because you're getting out and walking, but too, but better mentally because you are around people more. And, and I've even, and as to the well-being of, of more mixed use neighborhoods, I, I even saw some studies that have shown that mixed use and walkable communities have less crime because, and, and the theory was that, uh, you know, people are more invested into their neighborhoods so that you're, so they're able to, you know, there's a, a stronger network of uh, people working together to keep the neighborhood safe and just communicate better. So there, there, I mean, so not, so from a well-being perspective, even mixed neighborhoods are good for, yeah, like you said, physical health, mental health, and even your physical security. So why not? So just change the zoning laws, people. Just, just we just we can figure it out. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. change the zoning laws. Oh my gosh, no. no. <laughs> I, although I, I will say this, I did actually have a client who went through and she was in, in one of the conservation districts, and the people in the neighborhood who were in that district were getting getting very frustrated with some of the restrictions that were being placed on them within the CD. So they actually spent, I think, about two years getting the conservation district rules rewritten. So that ordinance was revised to take out some of the more stringent measures and give them, I think, a little more flexibility. So it can be done, but but to change a to really change overall overall zoning in a city is is really a challenge and and interestingly enough you are seeing people moving back into the urban core but at the same time what it's doing is even then the zoning is restricting how tall those buildings can be and how many how many buildings can you have on a single lot kind of thing so townhomes for example so so even at that you are limiting the density within the urban core so so yeah i yeah I guess this this is about zoning. <laughs> well, it's a little bit more about zoning because there, there's so many different aspects to it, and I think the and we've barely touched the surface. We've yeah. barely touched the surface, definitely, because well, I mean we could jump off into into the different types of, of zoning districts alone because they vary so widely, and from city to city that you know the, the these smaller suburbs that have these old city centers like McKinney. There's these urban cores that they want to preserve, it sets up a whole different different type of restriction and determines really who can live there and, and what can be built there. Yeah, I, I, it's it's one of those things that I we we have to do it every day, but we don't. You know, we often we don't think this. <laughs> we don't get this too far into it, but but it all is very true. I mean, there's you know, we need to we need to have more affordable housing. We need to have something. We need to do something with global warming and. We definitely need to make our communities healthier. So why not change the zoning? But if you guys have some idea of what you think could change, please feel free to reach out to us. You can always reach me, Larry, at spotteddogarchitecture.com or at spotteddogarch on Instagram. And for now, Twitter, that could change. And if you want to get in touch with Matthew. I'm Boy, I'm glad I'm not on Twitter right now. But yeah, you can find me at Matthew at adding 
com or on the social medias at adding arch and you can find the podcast at, on your all your major podcast platforms and at architecturegeeks.com so i think that's where we're going to wrap it up today but thank you all for listening and we'll catch you guys next time bye bye